you'll turn with me in your Bibles. We're going to be in both Isaiah, Isaiah 9, in the book of Hebrews. Let's join our hearts together as we begin to open God's word together. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, I thank you for what has been described as the most wonderful time of the year. The time that we celebrate a love that will not betray us or dismay us or enslave us, but a love that would come to set us free. And Father, we long for the day to come when your son who has come will come again and we will truly live in your presence as people who will have no reason to sigh, to sigh no more. In the reality in the world we live in, even in the midst of the most wonderful time of the year, I still sigh. And I know my brothers and sisters do as well. God, we thank you for the life you've blessed us with. Because we're yours and because of what your son has done, we long to see you. And we long to be with you. Because even on our best days, they're still sighing and they're still longing. And even in, during the most wonderful time of year, there's still sadness and brokenness and sinfulness. So oh, how we long for that day. And until then, would you please, because you love us so tenderly and you love us so passionately, would you send the spirit of your son? Would you let him set us free again today? Would you remind us again today of the way he loves us and what he has done for us. God, I pray that there would not be one person sitting here today that can leave here that couldn't say, I've been with Jesus. And God, would you do that in a way to speak through a broken sinner like me? All for your glory, all for our health, all for you, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In my 47 years of life, in my 20 years of ministry, I don't know if I've seen anything as powerful or if I've ever encountered anything as strong or anything that could really be life-giving as a mother's love. Have you? I mean, is there anything like a mother's love uh, to, to go through life? Uh, to me, I've been amazed at how strong that love and that bond can be that seemingly sometimes only a mother can give what an amazing power the amazing ability of a mother to uh to love in the midst of all of life's storms it's just kind of crazy how god has given them the amazing ability to endure for a mom, endure through all of the struggles of life especially you you single moms uh i gotta tell you you're like a hero I mean, to, to see the single moms uh, uh, endure what you're enduring and, and to have the strength for all moms to, to kind of hold together the family through thick and thin. I mean, maybe through some really difficult economic times. I mean, the grasp of motherhood uh, on loves. How about, how about the ability of the mother to believe? I, I, I've been amazed sometimes, especially with their children, when, when a child seems so lost, I'm so gone, I mean, so hopeless. There's just some love in a mom that just has the ability to believe when everything else seems to be 
unbelievable. Maybe it's that, that ability to hope. Is there one who's greater who's able to hope like a mom? Hope for their children, hope for their surroundings. That's an amazing power that God has given uh, women, mothers, uh, especially in the midst of storms. Glenda Moore. Glenda Moore clung desperately to her two young boys, uh, four-year-old Connor and two-year-old Brandon, as wave upon wave pounded their vehicle on the flooded Staten Island streets in the midst of Hurricane Sandy. Her car winds up getting stuck in a hole. I mean, Glenda, desperate, goes and she, she's able to, to get Connor and Brandon out of their car seats and, and grafts them and, and into the flooded streets. But seconds later, her boys disappear in the killer floodwaters. Slipping through Glenda's loving arms. The terrified mom is left to swim for her own safety, praying for the safety and the rescue of her children. But Connor and Brandon, both would be lost. Story goes on to say that she, she knocked on the door of a neighbor pleading for help. Can you imagine Glenda? I mean, in the midst of that storm, I mean, can you imagine the pounding on that door pleading for help? She says that her neighbor answered saying these words, I don't know you. I'm not going to help you. The mighty power of a mother desperately wanting to preserve and save the life of her children. But she couldn't do it. Her might wasn't strong enough. Sandy's might was a little bit more. The storm that raged around her was greater. The neighbors that were around her weren't empathetic enough. I mean, the neighbors that were around her didn't care enough to really offer help for Glenda. Christmas is a celebration of Jesus. This helpless baby in the manger. I mean, this, this infant, frail and weak, that Isaiah will say some 700 years before he appears in Bethlehem as a baby, Isaiah is going to describe who he is, and he's going to say of this little baby, here lies mighty God. Did you hear that? Here lies mighty God. And really, the question that we all should ask anytime we, we come to this moment and we see the baby in the manger, we should ask ourselves two questions about mighty God wrapped in swaddling clothes. The first question is this, is he mighty enough to save the children, his children, from the storms of life that rage around all of us? Did you hear that? The first question is, is this mighty God really mighty enough to save us out of the storms of life that rage all around us? Well, the Christmas story is that he became one of us to rescue us. I mean, that's the whole point. I mean, that's, that's John 3.16, right? I mean, that says the whole thing of the whole plan of God was that he would so love us, so love the world that he would send his only son, mighty God, to rescue us. 
Is he mighty enough to save? The second question, if he is mighty God, the question is, is he sensitive enough to help us? I mean, how is it with you? But most people with might, most people with power, most people who have that kind of authority despise the weak. How about Jesus? Is he going to be one who's so mighty who will say, hey, I don't know you. I'm not going to help you. The amazing good news of the Christmas story, the amazing good news of the gospel story is that he became one of us to empathize with us, to, to sympathize with us, to relate to us. So let's read of this mighty God. And what we're going to do is we're going to go back to Isaiah, Isaiah 9, like we did last week. Last week, we looked at the wonderful counselor. This week, mighty God. And then we're going to go to the book of Hebrews and to see what does that really mean that he is mighty God. So we'll read Isaiah 9, verse 6, and Hebrews 2, 11 through 18, and 4, 14 through 16. But here's a great part about God's word. We're going to read something that was written 700 years before Jesus. And we're going to read something that was written after Jesus was resurrected and died. But they're all the same story. And ultimately, they're all the same author. Although human pens wrote this, Isaiah and the writer of Hebrews, whoever he is. But we know that this is God's word. It's inspired. I mean, listen, God loved us so much. He wanted us to get this story. What an amazing one story we have. So let's read together. I'll read aloud. You can write, read silently. And the word should be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles or some, I think, in the bulletin. God's word says this. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. I think I threw an extra verse in there, no charge. Uh, Hebrews 2, 11 through 18. Let's take a little deeper look into what this means. So now Jesus, as the ones, and the ones he makes holy, it's only Jesus who makes us holy, we have the same Father. Isn't that good news? The Father in heaven. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them, call us, his brothers and sisters. For he said to God, and now he will quote uh, Psalm twenty-two, twenty-two. He says, I will proclaim your name to my God's name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you, you among your assembled people. What an amazing God. He also said, I will put my trust in him. That is, I and the children God has given me. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who live their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Verse 16. We also know that the son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham, his children. 
Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every single respect or aspect like us. His brothers and sisters. So that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. And then in chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. The high priest of ours, listen, Jesus, he understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same temptations or testings we do, yet this one, he didn't sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we, most, when we need it most. Again, let us pray. Father, it's through mighty God, your son, It's through him that we can come boldly into your presence and ask for your help. Would you help this preacher? Would you help this congregation? Would you come be with us? We boldly come into your presence and ask that you come be with us so that we could have the answers to the questions we need desperately answered. Is your son Jesus strong enough to rescue a sinner like me? Is your son Jesus weak enough or low enough to empathize with a sinner like me? So God, come and show us your son in all of his beauty and all of his glory. We pray in Christ's name, amen. You have a bulletin you want to follow along with an outline. You'll see that mighty God has two points. If you want to fill in, we're going to unpack those as we go along. We're going to ask those two questions or answer those questions. Is mighty God, is Jesus, that babe in the manger, weak enough to empathize with us, to relate to us? And is he strong enough to rescue us? It's amazing is that when you look at this closely. You start peeling back the onion, if you will, to the different layers to see what is happening. I mean, Isaiah promised mighty God. Showing up in Bethlehem looked like very weak, fragile baby. But it's this. My brothers and sisters, rejoice in this amazing good news. Lean into this ridiculously powerful story. It's mighty God in weakness. Listen, it's God in weakness and humanity. It's God in flesh that gives him both the power to save us and the ability to relate to us. Did you hear what I just said? It is God in flesh that gives him both the power to save us and the ability to relate to us. Well, how do we know that? Well, first of all, we know he's tender God. I mean, this is God, and yet he became poor. He became poor like us. I mean, this is, this is eternal, everlasting Father, yet he became wretched and weak like us. He became a child, flesh and blood like us. He became our brother, one exactly like us. How tender. Yet he's also mighty God. Where You may want to say, where is his divinity? I mean, 
How do we see his divinity? His divinity is wrapped in love. His divinity is, is veiled in flesh. And the power of God, listen, the power of God is revealed in the fact that God became one of us. Wow. Why'd he do that? God became one of us because that is how he would have the power to leverage us up to him. Let me say it again a little bit clearer. Where's the darkest place you've ever been? Where's the most sinful place you've ever been? Where's the place you've been most alone? Where's the place you've been most isolated? And I hope that you're not in that place right now, but I, I know that many of you probably are. Well, I want you to know, it's, it's that low place in your life. It's that darkness in your life. It's, it's that sinfulness in your life that mighty God had to get his arms around. He had to get lower than that. He had to get to where you and I find ourselves in the depths of our depravity and sinfulness, our brokenness, our emptiness. He had to get that low to lift us up. See, the power and the might of God is so amazing is that he would go that low to lift us that high, to leverage us to heaven. It's the power of God in flesh, the power that is veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Man, where's the divinity? It's in the love, the love the Father would have to send him to us. Where's the divinity? It's in the love of Jesus who's willing to say, yeah, I'm, I'm eternal, I'm God, but I'll take on flesh. I'll become just like them. You see, it's his pitiful condition in the manger. It's pitiful. It's weak. It's his pitiful condition in the manger. Is That's where his power is. It's in the power uh, of love in his flesh. The power, listen, listen, in that manger is that power that's going to bridge a chasm. It's going to bridge a chasm between holy God and sinful man. That power is right there, wrapped in swaddling clothes and a baby named Jesus. Who would have ever saw that power coming? It's the power to, to save. So my brothers and sisters, as we unpack this power, my hope and prayer will be what Bonhoeffer said many years ago. May we kneel low before this pitiful manger, before the child of poor people, and speaking faith with stammering tongue, say, Almighty God. Wow. Okay, let's go to Hebrews. Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2 tells us a lot of things about this mighty God that will show us that he has both the power to relate to us and the power to uh, save us. In Hebrews 2.11, in Hebrews 2.11, Jesus is going to say something that's pretty startling. He's going to do it by quoting scripture in God's word. It's told us that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers or sisters. Did you hear that? I mean, Jesus is not ashamed to call you and me family, brothers and sisters. I mean, that, that, that's amazing. He's basically saying this. Jesus is not that powerful one who just sits at the cool kids table. He sits at your table, whoever you are, wherever you are. I mean, Jesus is not ashamed to look at you and say, my brother, my sister, my family, I'm one of you. 
I mean, how amazing is the love of God for us that he would be willing to call us brother, sister. You see, he opens the door for us. Do we get it? He opened the door by becoming one of us. He opened the door to the Father's love. He opened the door to heaven. Who doesn't open the door to family? So wherever you are right now, you can know that God is not ashamed of the fact that he relates to us and wants to call us brothers and sisters, that he has opened up the door for us and he will always open the door for family. But there's even more. Not only is he going to call us brothers and sisters, but there's more in 2.17. In Hebrews 2.17, it says, It was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters. Scripture is saying this, Jesus is not exempt from any of our humanity. He became fully man, he is fully man, forever will be fully God, fully man. In every respect. In every respect of, a, of humanity, he took on for himself. Why? It says, so he could become merciful and faithful. Why? So Jesus is tender enough to care for us. Here's the deal. He's saying, you think I care? You think I care for you? Are you kidding me? I can't just like you. In every way, shape, or form, I became a man just like you so I could be sympathetic and tender and care. You know, it's interesting, if you read the Gospels closely, it's, it's the commonness of Jesus that really messed up the hometown of Jesus. Mark chapter 6 in the Gospel tells us in verses 2 and 3, it says that Jesus was doing some amazing things. I mean, he's healing people. I mean, and he's opening up God's word like it's never been opened up before. And people are seeing like the spirit of the living God on this, this one. And they, they don't get it. Why? Why don't they get it? Because Jesus was so common to them. I mean, he was just so ordinary. I mean, here's what they said. He said, wait a minute. Whoa, how could this be happening? This is, this is Mary's son. And his brothers and sisters are, are here with us. And by the way, Mary did have other children, was a virgin when she gave birth to Jesus. But they said, wait, 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 wait. This is, this is the carpenter. How in the world? This is the kid that we remember. Remember the time he skinned his knee? I'll never forget that time. Remember the time he went fishing with the buddies down the street and the things they did? They were just thinking about, this is like Jesus next door. How in the world can this be God? How can he be doing this stuff? You see, it was Jesus becoming one of us and going through ordinary life and ordinary struggles and ordinary junk and, you know, and playing with the neighbors and, and, and falling out of a tree and experiencing all the fullness of life. Why? Ready for this? So he can relate to us. What an amazing savior he is. Uh, he became like us in every way, but there's more. In verse 18, he says this. In verse 18, he says, since he himself has gone through suffering, he not only became one of us, he suffered with us in testing. Why did he go through suffering and testing? You ready for this? It says it right there. So he can help us. How do you like getting help from somebody who has no idea what you're going through? Don't you hate it? I mean, come on, deep down. I mean, don't you hate it when someone who will come to you and say, I, you know, oh, I, I know what you're going through. I'm so sorry. And then they'll try to tell you how to deal with your issues when they've never been there. And by the way, it should help all of us to remember that probably the best counseling, the best love we could give someone is not always advice. I mean, Job's friends really messed up. 
The best thing, listen, the best thing we could do is just be there and love them. And the worst thing I think we could do is start saying that we get it when we don't. And so for you to put yourself in someone else's shoes, now sometimes you can. I mean, sometimes you'll go through a divorce and somebody who has been divorced that says, I've been there. And there's a great comfort in that. You might lose a child, heaven forbid. And someone who's lost a child might say, I've been there. But I, I can't really say I've been there. So what would you think about God who says, I really sympathize and empathize with you, but I've never been there. It's amazing. God says, listen, I've, I've, I've suffered. I've suffered and I've been tested. I've been there. And I could tell you, I can relate to you. You see, Jesus is not only tender enough to care for us, he's, Jesus is empathetic enough to understand and help us. Not just to say, hey, I care, but I'm here and I get it. And I want to help, but there's even more. Hebrews 4, 14 and 15 says this about Jesus. He was tempted by Satan, tempted uh, in the flesh, tempted in every way. Why? So that he can relate to us. You know, people think that religious people or pastors are exempt from temptation. Please don't think that. I mean, look what's happened around us in the last week or two. Pastors have really large targets on us. Religious folks, Christians, there's an enemy out there that would love to take us down. It's interesting because since this has come out, I've had more people ask me about my life. Hey, how you doing? And since there's been a fall in a local church, and people are kind of tiptoe that. Can I ask my pastor how he's doing? Can I ask him how... Now, it's probably more appropriate for those who are closer to me, but I'm telling you, yes. I'm just like you. Are you kidding me? Yes. I I am tempted like you in every single way. Throw me out, doesn't matter. More importantly, Jesus. Jesus is tempted like us in every single way. Here's what I'm saying. Jesus didn't get a hall pass. He did not get a hall pass. He went through the same struggles you and I do. And now we have a high priest who can relate to us. But there's a biggest change, difference. It says he was tempted in every way. Listen, listen. But he was without sin. Jesus, not for one nanosecond, in thought, word, or deed, gave in to his temptations. Why is that important? If he did, if he gave in even to the smallest of sins, the whitest of lies, the littlest of things, he no longer is qualified to save us. If he had sinned, you can say, well, yeah, I can empathize with us. But you see, Jesus had to be spotless, pure lamb of God to take away the wrath that we deserve from a holy God of our sins. So an amazing thing with that reality is this. Yes, uh, Jesus can empathize with us. He was tempted, but he cannot say, hey, I've been there and I've done that. He can just say, I've been there. But now I do have the power to rescue you. I do have the power to defeat Satan, and I have. I do have the power to conquer death, and I did. I do have the power to open up heaven. And because I was tempted and yet I didn't sin and fulfilled by God's grace, the law, listen, I did and I will and I win. You see, his weakness is the power needed to save us. His perfection is the quality needed to save us. 
Yes, he empathizes with us. And then we get to Hebrews 7.25. We didn't read it. But Hebrews 7.25 says this, that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost as a high priest. Or basically he says this, Jesus is able to save us once and forever. Here's what it's saying. Jesus as your savior will never, ever, ever, ever let you go. He's saying there's no storm too strong for Jesus to lose his grip on you. Did you hear that? There is not a storm brewing in your own life, brewing in this own country, brewing in this world that is too strong for Jesus. There is nothing that will separate us, those of us that are his, from the love of Christ. He will never let go. And Glenda Moore, in vain, tried desperately to hold on and save her children. To keep the mighty storm from killing her beloved Connor and Brandon. Her human weakness betrayed her. She just wasn't strong enough. You know, her will was there, but she just didn't have the strength not to let him go. Jesus of Nazareth. Son of man, son of God, born in a manger. His human weakness did not betray him and it will not betray us. It's through his weakness, through his flesh, through his frailty as a man, human, that he could and he would save his children. It's, it's the mighty God that we see in Jesus and his weakness that allows him to have sympathy and empathy with us that we will never hear Jesus say, I don't know you if we're his in Christ. I can't help you. The reality of what we just read in the Gospels and in Hebrews is this, is that Jesus says, I have become one of you to know you. And I will help you. And I will rescue you. As I prepared for this, I I read through Psalm 91.4. It just made me think of this love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. It says this, He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. And all I could picture is that really comfy down blanket that is just wrapped around you. All I could picture is mother's love right there. It says, He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. The strength of a father. Tenderness of a a mother. But for us to really get this message, we have to understand, it was Jesus who got swept away by the storms of life. I mean, it was Jesus. By the way, the guy who didn't respond has gotten a lot of negative light. There's some confusion of what was said and what wasn't said. But let me ask you this question. Who in their right mind wants to answer the door when the storms of life are raging? Seriously, I mean, think about, put it, you're scared to death. That guy was scared to death, was he not? And he, he would say, I, I thought there was a burglar out there. I didn't know it was. I, I didn't know. I didn't hear it. But seriously, I mean, who has the courage to open up the door in a raging hurricane? When you don't know what's on the other side. 
His name's Jesus. With a world that's raging in sin and fallenness, he opened up heaven's door and he stepped inside. He stepped inside the storm that was raging about him. You see, he was willing, loved us enough to come and rescue us. Listen to this. By slipping out of his father's arms on the cross, by slipping out of the grasp of his heavenly father and bearing the brunt of our sin and the death we deserve, he was willing to be lost in the storm of God's wrath so that we never, ever will have to. So that we will always be secure. And now Jesus, he stands at the door of our hearts and knocks. Do you know him? Do you know him as mighty God? A God who's able to relate and a God who truly is powerful enough to save. Have you opened up the door of your heart to him? Your brother, he stands there. Your brother who knocks and says, open up. I've entered in the storm. I want to come bring you peace. Are you opening up your door for your neighbors that are pounding on your door in his name? He'll send them. Listen. But for all of us, may we bow and worship besides the manger because lying in that manger is mighty God. What do you need from God today? A God who can relate to you? Your only hope is Jesus. What do you need from God today? A God who can rescue you? Your only hope is Jesus. Because he's weak enough to sympathize. And he's mighty enough to save. Let us pray. Father, the love you would have for sinners like us to send your son, mighty God, to come and rescue us. But God, you are so wise as the wonderful counselor that you knew that we needed a God who could relate to us. And the only way he relates to us is he's got to become one of us in every way. And he's got to be tempted and he's got to suffer and he's got to experience this world, but he can't sin. Oh, Jesus, thank you for loving us enough to putting on flesh. I mean, it's so ridiculous of a story that the heavens had to peer in to say, wow, mighty God in a manger. Jesus, thank you for rescuing us and calling us your brothers and sisters, calling us your brothers and sisters. What an amazing God. What an amazing Savior. There's not a person here that you can't relate to. Satan doesn't want them to believe it. Their circumstances want to say that that's not true. But because mighty God showed up in a manger, it is true. There's not a person sitting here that you can't relate to. And there's not a soul in here, Jesus, that you couldn't save. And so as we find you at the door knocking, give us wisdom to beg you to come in. Because you were willing to step into the storms to rescue us. God, I pray for Glenda Moore. 
I can't imagine this Christmas. I can't imagine a stocking probably with a Brandon and a Connor's name on it. Would you please give her comfort? I don't even know how you do that. But God, I know there's a lot of Glenda Moore sitting in here. They have different stories. They have broken hearts. Would you just come, Emmanuel, God, with us? Would you come and just sit with us and remind us of the deep, deep love of Jesus? It's in his name we pray. Amen.